Hello, and thanks for joining us again on the Saving Delaware History podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Messer, and today we'll be speaking with Susan Wolfe and Bob Merrill, volunteers with the Friends of Belmont Hall. Can you describe for us the inside and outside of Belmont Hall? Susan, Bob, do you, do you want to take the outside and I'll go inside? Okay. Well, the outside is a brick structure, three stories with five bays, 12 over 12 windows with stone keystone lintels. And it was built in the Georgian style with a center hall with an open staircase to the third floor and a single room on each side. The new addition to Belmont Hall was built in 1773 by Thomas Collins. Right, I mean, that's, it's a fantastic house and just beautiful. Um, inside, um, it has had some um, renovations done to it. When the state got the property, they wanted to use it as a conference center. So they put in some recessed lighting and um, some kind of period looking chandeliers. But the original uh, woodwork, uh, particularly on the first floor is just uh, very, very lovely. Um, if you come into the center hall, the room to your left is the formal drawing room and the, the place where uh, Thomas Collins would have invited his um, uh, people who came to see him, that that was, that was the good room. Um, and uh, then uh, and, and, uh, has a fireplace. Um, so then the room to the right, um, I think was a, an informal parlor or drawing room, but now is used uh, since the 19... 20s or so, it's been called the library. And uh, there are some bookshelves and things in there. Um, when, if you go to the end of the center hall and down a couple of steps, you go into the area of the house that was built that, um, that this Georgian structure was the new addition to. And there were, there are two, um, I call them towers. There were independent, two independent mirror image structures that are three stories each. And um, originally when you walk to the end of the hall and, and out the back door, you were outside and you went to the left to get to the kitchen uh, portion of the house that was built, we think maybe 1740s. Um, and then go back, it's a, back outside and go to the right. And you would go to what originally was probably a keeping room, uh, the main room of the house, uh, but was used for, for many years as a dining room. Um, so then on the second floor, you go in the center hall. And if you go to the, to the um, left or to the right, you go into bedrooms that have lovely uh, fireplaces and crown molding and chair rails and um, very nice. And then if you keep going up, <laughs> there's a third story and it has knee walls uh, because of the slant of the roof. Um, and if you keep going up, <laughs> there is a, um, on, up on the roof, there is a platform with a railing that um, 
was added to the House during the Revolutionary War. Uh, Susan, you mentioned uh, guests coming into the drawing room. S some of those guests included Caesar Rodney, John Dickinson, Alan McLean, many of our patriots during the Revolutionary War, and also the Delaware Assembly met for a while in that drawing room uh, during the Revolutionary War. Why did the Assembly and meet there? Well, the original capital was in Newcastle, but when the British captured Philadelphia, they sent uh, troops down into Wilmington and the British fleet was sailing up the Delaware River and they were with an easy cannon shot of the courthouse in Newcastle. So it was no longer safe for the Delaware Assembly to meet in Newcastle. And Thomas Collins says, why don't you come to my house, Belmont Hall in Duck Creek, and uh, so they did. They moved down there for a period of time. And we have a painting over the fireplace that de depicts what the assembly would have looked like meeting in that drawing room. And two of the chairs in the drawing room are original chairs that the assemblyman sat in during those meetings. The assembly always intended to go down to Dover, but that, you know, it took a while to decide who was going to, which tavern was going to get the host, the um, assembly. So apart from hosting the general assembly, what was the building used as? I believe you said it was a house for a time. It was a, a private home from the time it was built in 1773 until um, the Speakman family sold it to the state in 1987. All from so that, that whole time it was used as a private home. And then after it became state property, they used it for a few years as a um, conference, a, a state conference center. So you had to be a state agency in order to have a meeting there. Um, so it was, it was not open to the public. Uh, and then in 2010, um, the Friends of Belmont Hall incorporated and entered into a joint use agreement with the uh, state that we would provide public access and promote the preservation of the house. Wonderful, what does that look like for you guys these days? <laughs> well, it looks pretty different that uh, um, it, traditionally we uh, try to provide a lot of different kinds of programs. We've had some lectures. We had a craft fair one year. We have, um, um, uh, we had a poetry reading. Um, so we try to have um, programs of interest to the public for them to come and to be in the house. Um, for many years, um, we had our annual Christmas at Belmont Hall event, which was kind of a paid event. And then the next day, we always had a free open house. So there's many people who wanted to come and see the house. Beautifully decorated, I may say, um, uh, could come. And um, at Easter for several years, we've had a, um, an Easter extravaganza <laughs> Um with an Easter egg hunt and egg roll and uh, relays and games and things like that. So, uh, and then 
that's on kind of the public side. Um, and then we do rentals that we've had hosted a lot of um, meetings um, and then also um, weddings, baby showers, um, dinners, um, things like that. So, and right now, <laughs> this past year, when we normally have maybe 15 or 20 weddings, we had, I don't know, <laughs> maybe three that we were able to, um, you know, to have them small enough and, and have them on the grounds. We also had, a, a and in addition to COVID, um, we, a tornado also hit the no. property um, in... August, fourth uh, of August, and um, either broke off or upturned or or damaged about seventy trees. So the property was completely closed. No one could come onto the property for the month of August and September, while they were uh, the state was um, cleaning up the damage from that. So. Now, prior to COVID, too, we, we had the house open for tours. And yes. uh, uh, once this COVID gets out of here, we'd like to get it back open <laughs> again. And people can call in and uh, schedule a tour. And then in the fall, quite often, uh, every Saturday, we're open for tours. Uh, people could just walk in. And we advertise that in the state news. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've had um, the Civil War encampments. Um, so that, so that, that's a fun thing for people to come and see. We have beautiful, beautiful grounds. We've had people come and do just tree tours. I, I don't know what the tree, how great the tree tours are going to be now, but, um, we, ha we have hundreds of trees. So we, we could lose 70 trees and we still have, um, many beautiful historic uh, trees. I didn't even know tree tours were a thing that people did. Yes, <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the you were talking about encampments. Was mm -hmm. the Belmont Hall involved in the Civil War, or how did those take place? So Belmont yeah. Hall was primarily militarily involved with the Revolutionary War. That. Thomas Collins, do you want to tell him about uh, Thomas Collins setting up his little militia and stuff at Belmont Hall? Yeah, Bob? Thomas Collins commanded the Upper Kent County uh, militia and he actually built a stockade around uh, Belmont Hall and the, the troops in that militia camped there at, at the house. And, uh, but I think just prior to the stockade being built there, a group of Tories some say British soldiers, some say Tories, came to the house looking for Thomas Collins and uh, they found it on the back door. Yeah, yeah, yeah to arrest him. Arrest him for being a traitor. Yeah, and uh, they pounded on the back door. And while the family delayed this, this angry group at the back door, a servant took Mr. Collins up to the third floor and put him in a, a a small closet that was on that third floor and then pushed a dresser in front of the closet door so that it wasn't visible. And when this angry mob finally did gain access to the house, they ran all through and uh, checked each room 
and they looked in the room where the governor was and did not see that door where he had been hidden and left without the governor. But it was very obvious that they wanted to do him harm and, and he was saved by that servant. And uh, then uh, a follow-up to that, when they did build the stockade there and had the troops encamped there, they posted a sentry up on that captain's walk or widow's walk, wherever uh, the proper name would be. And a British scouting party came up behind the house and saw the sentry up there and they shot him. And mortally wounded, he made his way down into the house and alerted the people in the house that the British were there. And then he went off, uh, it went into a room which we now call the soldier's room to the left of the stairway where he died in about an hour. And for many years, the blood from that sentry stained the stairway coming down <laughs> into the third floor. And uh, it was a tourist that, attraction. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah. But there was a fire. There was a fire up in the third floor uh, in 1922, and that the blood stains were destroyed, unfortunately. So that's interesting. So well, we call that this call that the soldiers' room today. So. Was it owned by anyone after Thomas Collins? So uh, when Thomas Collins died, the property went to his uh, son slash grandson, who in 19, well, there were, it was, it's very kind of confusing. It's hard to pin down whether it was exactly his son or his grandson, mm -hmm. but one of them, um, who was, um, so he sold the property to his cousin, John Cloak in 1828. And John Cloak then owned Belmont Hall, but it was kind of stayed in the family uh, because um, John Cloak's grandmother was Thomas Collins' sister. Sister, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they were, they were related. <laughs> and his, and his, uh, grandfather was John Cook, who would become the, uh, was the sixth governor of Delaware. So it was a very um, influential family and uh, active in the politics of Delaware. So, uh, so he lived there, John Cloak and his family lived there uh, until John died in 1867. And he, um, when he died, he had two daughters. And his oldest daughter, Caroline, uh, was the one who inherited Belmont Hall and acreage with that. So Caroline then had four children by her first marriage, but all of those children died. Three of them died very young. And, um, and the last one died when she was seven or eight, nine, yeah, I think it's eight years old, I believe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she, she died in a diphtheria epidemic. It was noted in the uh, local newspaper. And uh, <clears throat> so then uh, he, she married a second time to Walter Speakman. Um, not Walter. Gideon. Gideon Speakman. And she and Gideon had one child, a son, Cummins Elliot Stockley Speakman. And, <laughs> and um, Caroline then lived 
it there, even though she sold the house to her son and daughter-in-law about 1916. She lived there in the house until she died in 1920. Uh, and then Cummins and his wife, Marjorie Willoughby Speakman, um, lived in the house then until Marjorie died in 1978. And she left the house to her three children. Uh, but her one of her sons, Walter uh, Buzzy Speakman, and his family lived in the house because um, uh, she, uh, Marjorie, had invited them to, you know, it was a big house and to live in, in the house with her. So the none of the three children could afford to buy out the other uh, heirs. Uh, and in 1987, they sold the property to um, the state of Delaware, initially to Del Dot because they wanted the back end of the property, the east end um, for, they were putting in route one. So they wanted it for the road. And then the, the area up around the house, uh, the house and the area up around the house was then transferred to the supervision or the caretaking by the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs. And they partnered with the Friends of Belmont Hall to do the upkeep there? Well, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> our partnership, yes. In 2010, we entered into a, a kind of a joint use agreement. And um, the state still does all the heavy lifting <laughs> with um, upkeep. And they do the mowing. And the Friends take care of minor repairs and... Um, We've done some repointing, we've done um, upgrading uh, or modernizing. Some of the bathrooms were pretty industrial looking. And so, you know, we fixed those so they look kind of pretty for our <laughs> weddings. And uh, um, we participated in um, some of the painting that the, the, the state has done, most of the interior painting, but we kind of keep up with that. Um, and then, um, and then we provide opportunities for people to see the house, be the house, learn the history of the house through our through the tours and programs that we do. So our major function is to make sure that the house is available to the public. So, to both of you, what is your favorite part of Dunlop Hall? To me, it's the drawing room. Actually, it's, it's two places in Belmont Hall. The drawing room is one. When I think about all the history and historical events that took place there, as I, as I said earlier, men like Caesar Rodney came there and John Dickinson, Alan McLean, and they talked about independence. And uh, then once we were independent, they talked about the future of our country and the future of our state. Uh, and the other place would be the soldier's room where, where the soldier died. Uh, and I've, I've worked diligently to find out what his name is. If any of your listeners can <laughs> shed any light on that, that would be wonderful. There's a plaque in the front, front hall of Belmont Hall uh, in memory of the sentinel that was killed there, but there's no mention of his name. 
and I've gone through troop lists. I've gone through letters in the archives, any source that I can find to try to find his name, but have been unable to do that. Uh, I've even talked to, to uh, local historians like uh, Sam Hoff uh, at, at Dell State, and uh, none of us have been able to come up with the answer of who this soldier was. So if any of your listeners could help us with that, it would be absolutely wonderful. But uh, that that's the second location in the house that I really like. So the drawing room and the soldier's room. Um, I just love, I love historic houses, old houses. I live in an old house. Um, and I worked for um, 17 years as a manager of a historic house museum in Maryland. And um, I just, I just love the quirkiness <laughs> of an old house that you have that, I mean, what kind of house would you have that you go to the end of the hall and you walk down three steps to get to another part of the house and which was outside for a hundred years. <laughs> I mean, from 1773 until the 1780s, you couldn't get from the original uh, parts of the house to the new part of the house without going outside. And I just love that. I think it's just so um, um, just a, a unique thing about historic houses. Uh, and I love the um, what we call the Thomas Collins room, the the uh, formal drawing room. It's just beautiful. It just, it has such uh, detail and the cornices and the, it's just a lovely room. And then my other favorite part about it is the grounds. We have um, our, one of our major um, volunteers is Missy Vaughn. Missy Speakman Vaughn, and she grew up in the house and she's on our board and she spends hours and hours and hours um, maintaining the uh, flower beds um, and gardens around the house. And it's just, you know, we have these this beautiful weeping, large, huge weeping cherry trees. And we have this huge, uh, uh, tulip magnolia and, and when it blooms it's just like yikes <laughs> it's just gorgeous and um, just I mean the grounds are just so pretty and you can just come and just walk around historic trees we have a Kentucky coffee bean tree I mean whoever heard of that <laughs> we have a um, uh, a yew tree that is um, one of the oldest in the state and um, um, one of the DuPonts was going to buy it and move it up, um, you know, to Winneter. And when he came down and saw it in place, he said, this tree belongs here. And uh, he wouldn't take it. <laughs> he wouldn't <laughs> move it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's just, so the grounds are beautiful. Missy has just put in this beautiful butterfly garden that you you know come in and you think oh the uh, parking lot how how gorgeous can that be? Well, with that butterfly garden running along the side of that, it's pretty special. So those are my favorite things. That sounds wonderful. Uh, that covers everything I wanted to know about Belmont Hall. But did either of you have anything else you wanted to add? 
I would say I invite people to visit our website at um, belmonthole.org. And there are lots of pictures in there of the grounds and the house. And, um, and we just would invite people to kind of keep in touch <laughs> that we will be um, hopefully in the next few months um, that we'll be having a be, be able to be open for tours again and um, having some events and we're and if, we're looking forward to that. And if there's anyone out there that would be interested in joining the Friends of Belmont Hall okay. and help us preserve this mansion, we would certainly appreciate that. Absolutely. We'll keep our fingers crossed that you guys can have your event soon. And thank you both for speaking on this podcast and see you guys next week.